0: There's about 200 bodies that are still left on Everest. Um, I saw a couple and it's like, you know that that's there and that's going to happen, but it's so surreal when you see it because the bodies don't decompose. So it just <gasps> looks like a person. And, and they're um, like in all their hiking gear. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! Yeah. It's really crazy.
1: Welcome to Meredith for real, the curious introvert. That's me. I'm Meredith and I collect people for real. You never know who I'm going to meet next. So come listen as I put my curiosity to good use. Every week, I'll introduce you to someone new, and we'll talk about ways to stay curious and grow. Big thanks to our location sponsor, Delta Life Fitness in Pace, Florida, the 30-minute women's group fitness plan you can actually stick with. Over 200 people have died trying to do what our next guest did. A dozen died the year she did it. We're talking about summiting Mount Everest, that's making it to the top, not just climbing. Located on the border of China and Nepal, it's the highest mountain in the world. At over 29,000 feet above sea level, it's almost cruising altitude for a commercial airplane. So imagine being in the window seat and being eye to eye with a climber. At age 38 and only eight weeks of training, she became one of 4,700 people to achieve this and only one of 605 women. Today she's gonna share how she went from non-athletic theater nerd to mountaineer, and what you don't know about what it takes to get there. Stay to the end where she will share why it's never too late to start at the bottom. Three time iron woman, pediatric RN, loves Jesus and loves to party. (laughs) Mary Morgan Holitick Henderson. That is a long name, I sister. I know, it's a whole lot of names. There's actually more. <laughs> that's, oh, God. That's a shortened version. <laughs> I would just be signing my name M. M-M. M-M. <laughs>
0: M-M-H-H.
1: <laughs> that's why I only sign my name Meredith. There's yeah. no like, that's it. I'm like Madonna. <laughs> <laughs> so nine years ago, you had never
0: even run a mile. No, I was not very athletic. Um, when I lived in Hawaii, I lived there for nursing school, and... I was outside all the time. Like We would go to the beach, go surfing, body surfing, that kind of stuff. But no, I was not a runner, swimmer, biker, mountain climber, nothing like that. We did a lot of hiking, but totally different than mountain climbing. So what changed that made you do your first
1: anything competitive like that?
0: Um, I think nursing really changed uh, my attitude on life. Just seeing, um, I became a pediatric nurse, so just seeing kids suffering and kids that would never make it out of the hospital made me really realize how important life is and it's just like a precious gift and to just really take advantage of every moment because, you know, life is a gift and you're not promised tomorrow and um, to just take advantage of our able bodies and, you know, to enjoy nature and all that God's blessed us with.
1: It's funny that you said take advantage of our able bodies because when you said that the the patients had inspired you to live life to the fullest, I was thinking to myself, sister, there's other ways to live life to the fullest. Right. <laughs> but when you put it in perspective of your abled bodiness, that is amazing. Cause that, that makes it click for me. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah you are able to do things and you should experience them to their fullest. And what's not fuller than Mount Everest? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so when it went into the process of like preparing for that, I know you only had a short window of training, which is not
0: recommended, but you did have to prepare. Yeah, absolutely. So Everest is my third of the seven summits. I had done Aconcagua, which is the largest mountain outside the Himalayas, standing at around 23,000 feet. And I had done Kilimanjaro, which is amazing and wonderful, but it's more like a longer walk. Um, would definitely recommend it to anyone that is just starting out and mountaineering or just wanting to be outdoors and experience a different culture. It's beautiful and amazing. But for Everest, um, I called my guide from Aconcagua and asked him if he was taking a team up this last year. And he um, said yes. And he called you know they do everything through whatsapp so he called and left me kind of like a voice message and I was like yeah you did great on Aconcagua I think Everest would be a good next step for you and then you know blah blah blah, blah. you need to train about four to six seven months you're talking about 2020 right <laughs> Like, wait, no, I mean I meant this year. This, this spring actually. This is literally like a year ago, this time, last January. So he was like, um, okay, well I'm actually not going this year. We're doing K two, but I can put you in touch with another guy that I would trust with my life. And um he's actually with me on Akencagle right now. So he put me in touch with Arnold Koster, who is from the Netherlands, but lives in Nepal. He's actually married to a Sherpa woman.
1: Wow. And
0: he's done quite a few of the 8,000-meter peaks in Nepal. So he put me in contact with him, and he had room on his team. So that started uh, the 8 eight to 10 weeks of training that I had. And so, yeah, it was very unorthodox. Um, basically, I got in contact with Uphill Athlete, and they put me on, like, a training schedule. I would just get on um, a treadmill with, like, a... 50 to 60 pound pack and just walk for three to six hours on a 15 percent incline. What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Are you it was serious? really boring. <laughs> we don't have any mountains here in Florida, so. so I mean, like a serious treadmill, like just. A yeah, treadmill. just up. And Or I'd run stairs with a weighted vest. So pretty much that's what my life was for about eight weeks before wow. I Wow. Mm hmm. Okay, I did not
1: expect that at all.
0: <laughs> so you watched a lot of Netflix, probably a lot of Netflix. I watched every documentary, every movie on Everest while I was training. Was that helpful, or did that
1: did watching all those documentaries did that plant seeds of fear at all, or just make you more excited? To no, do it? it just made me really excited to get wow. there. Yeah. So when you say I called my guy, are you talking about the guide that used you used on the previous climbs?
0: Yes. Uh, our, uh, no. Sorry. Excuse me. M- Maximo Kosh is one of the um, biggest climbers in uh, Argentina, South America area. He's summited more six thousand meter peaks than anyone else in the world. He's like Guinness Book of World Records, amazing climber. So he took me on. Um, to the top of Akankagwa and he's the guy I called and he put me in touch with my guide from, uh, for Nepal. So,
1: and you didn't go with anyone. You went by yourself. Yeah.
0: So I went and met all the team in Kathmandu in Nepal. Did you tell your family you were going to do this? Y- yeah, sort of. Um, so I signed up before I even told anyone and then I kind of told my sisters and my parents and my mom didn't speak to me for like over a month and my sisters were all like you're crazy and then finally when I met with my dad we had dinner and in Dallas and he said okay i'm supposed to try and talk you out of going to do this but i know you're going to do it so <laughs> just enjoy it cuz it wasn't like you it was your first mountain that you were summoning. right yeah so i
1: mean they had to expect at some point Maybe.
0: I don't know if they were ever thinking I would do Everest, but <laughs> I knew I was going to do it. I, mean, I told my fiancé when I met him, or he's my husband now, but we've been together for eight years. And when I met him, I was like, this is going to happen at some point. So Prepare yourself. Yeah, just it's going to happen. What kind of equipment did you have to buy? So I had a lot of stuff that I've been um, kind of collecting through the years and through other climbs. And I climb in the summer in uh, Colorado and sometimes in Uh, North Carolina. So I had a lot of stuff. And then for cold weather, I had stuff from Kilimanjaro and a lot of stuff from Aconcagua. But um, a lot of like roping, like rope stuff and a Jumar, which I didn't have too much. (laughs) Wait, what is that? (laughs) Um, It's like kind of like a handle like this that you use to climb up on a fixed rope. So I had to get one of those. I had my crampons, you know, all the fun stuff for cold weather climbing. But uh, the 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 main thing I needed for I didn't have was the down suit, and my guy let me borrow one. They're really expensive, so he, I mean, it was brand new. It hadn't been used, but he let me use one of his, so that was awesome, because they're not cheap, and they're actually a pretty important piece of equipment.
1: Yeah, that's so you don't freeze to death. Freeze to death, yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Did you have to wear an oxygen
0: mask past the the death zone, it's called, right? Yes, into the death zone, so we started using supplemental oxygen at camp above Camp 1, which is is about 23,000 feet. So, um, we some people slept with oxygen at camp one, but I didn't. And then we start using it up to camp two, camp three, and then through the summit because you only get so
1: much usually, unless you're like paying for some prestige
0: package, right? Right, right? So, why sleep with it? Yeah, there's only so many bottles. So, when you're at camp one, you usually don't sleep with it. Yeah, that's <laughs> not
1: advised.
0: Yeah, yeah. So. so, you got hooked up with
1: um, a Sherpa there. And what what did all this cost? Because obviously, not a lot of people do this. There's a lot of equipment. Do you have like a tally? Yeah,
0: I think um, with everything, it was around fifty to sixty thousand. That's a lot. So yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> this is a once in a lifetime kind of thing. I knew like if I didn't summit this year, there's there's no going back. True. So you have you have you have to keep that in mind when doing. I mean, there of course there are people that have like I guess. Um, a lot of more resources than I do monetarily Mm -hmm. that can just spend sixty thousand dollars year after year to try, but I could not. Right. (laughs) So failure was not an option.
1: (laughs) So that's that was a motivator. Yeah, for sure. Were you thinking about the kids at all when you were hiking up there?
0: Oh absolutely. I have um, I Obviously, like all my patients are really special, but there are some kids that just stick out in my mind over the years that I constantly was thinking about. And then my nephew, Gabe, actually has cerebral palsy, so um, his mind is completely sharp, but he was born at 25 weeks, so he can't use the left side of his body. And he, if you talked to him or saw him, you wouldn't know it. He thinks he can just do everything, so he's absolutely amazing. So, you know, just thinking about him and, um, yeah. I, when I was, um, reading about all of this, I was
1: reading about the Sherpas and how, um, their religion is really passive and nothing is about self and that it's against their religion to like pray for themselves. They only like pray for others. And so being a Sherpa, guiding others to their, cause they consider the mountain sacred, right. um, that it is an act of worship to help others. And what was so poignant to me is that so many of the um, female climbers that I researched were doing it for a cause, whether it was women's rights or because of a loved one who had passed, or for you, you had these um, cancer patients in mind. So I thought that was really interesting that the female approach was so aligned with the Sherpas.
0: Yeah, the Sherpa culture is absolutely amazing. So I think some people equate Sherpa with just like someone that gets you up the mountain, but actually there are people. Um, that's actually a, a, like a, a um, what's the word I'm trying to use? They're all the whole community. Their last name is Sherpa, so right. um, it's a community of people. They do not all climb it's a mountains. people group, yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, and so. Karma, my Sherpa, was absolutely amazing. And when you go to Everest, you don't know who is gonna be your Sherpa for the actual summit day so you kind of get to know all of them but karma was the sherpa boss basically he was in charge of all the sherpas so i didn't know if he would actually be summiting or if he would stay with arnold and kind of just make sure that everything was going well and you know everyone was taken care of because our guy did not summit this year he stayed at advanced base camp and just kind of make sure that everyone is moving and advancing and coming down that needs to you know at the right pace so I didn't know until, right until our like final summit push that Carl um, was actually gonna be with me. And it was like such an answer prayer because he had been kind of with us the, the whole trip. I mean, he'd definitely been with all of us the whole trip, but he'd been with me on my really hard days and days I was struggling and we just had really bonded. So I was really hoping <laughs> that he would be with me and
1: then he was, so it was awesome. That's amazing. They had some really tragic stuff happen um, in the Sherpa community community in, um, I think 2014, yes like 14 or 16, um, Sherpas died. I guess they're called the ice doctors. They go to yeah. that, um, it's the Kumba ice fall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they basically make it passable for everybody.
0: Right. So, um, on the South side, in Nepal, the ice doctors go and test all the ropes and ladders and everything to make sure that um they're safe for clients and then on the north side we have the chinese rope fixing team i went from the north side so the rope chinese rope fixing team goes ahead of you and fixes the ropes and that was a big struggle this year on both sides the weather window did not permit um, either team to go up ahead of time and fix the ropes and um so then when there was even the chance to go higher there were no ropes. So it was a lot of waiting this year and then a very short weather window. I think it was just the 22nd to the 24th. So most people tried to summit on the 23rd last year, which is what created those long lines and stuff that everybody saw.
1: Yes, I saw the the pic, the picture. The picture. Yeah. yeah.
0: You said you went up on the north side. I heard
1: that there was a Sherpa who passed away um, who was wearing some green shoes. Oh, green boots. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And that um, he's still there, his body's still there, and that when there's not a lot of snowfall, you step around him. Did that happen?
0: Yeah, so um, there's about 200 bodies that are still left on Everest. Um, I saw a couple, and it's like you know that that's there and that's going to happen, but it's so surreal when you see it because the bodies don't decompose, so it just (gasps) looks like a person. And, and they're, um, like, in all their hiking gear. Mm-hmm. Oh, my god! Yeah, it's really crazy. So the first one I saw, like, was kind of out on the trail. So we did have to just kind of walk around. And at that point, you're just like, okay, um, you're praying for their family and just, like, friends. And then you're praying, like, oh, Lord, please let me get up and down safely. Yeah.
1: So Did you ever think at a certain point you were going to die? Hey everyone, it's time to take a quick minute and show gratitude to our sponsors who make this show possible and give you some special offers. Delta Life is Ladies Group Fitness in Pace, Florida, and I've been a member since 2016. I get bored super easy and I'm great at talking myself out of exercise, like expert level 5,000. So having a class to show up that's different every time has been winner, winner, chicken dinner for me. And with a Just being 30 minutes, there's really no reason not to go. Plus, they do fun social stuff like Christmas pajama parties, little black dress events and challenges. You can get your first class free to try it out. You can even come with me. There's no annual contract. It's all fitness levels, free childcare. Plus, if you mention the Meredith for Real podcast on your first visit, you'll get a free five pack of classes so you can really see if you like it. Check them out at DeltaLifeFitness.com
0: no but I could have like looking back now I'm like I really could have died then but um, I wasn't thinking about it at the time I think you're so like oxygen deprived you're so exhausted and your body's not thinking rationally <laughs> when you're at the actual summit um, is it and coming true down that your Sherpa can send you home
1: if he doesn't think that you're going to make it
0: yeah your Sherpa your guy can um, have you you know tell you you need to turn around and there's a a lot of arguments that, um, problems that can occur, because when you are having cerebral edema and that high of oxygen, you don't know, you can't rationally think through things. So even though someone might be telling you, you need to come down, you're saying, no, I need to keep going, I'm fine. And so that um, sometimes causes these deaths because people can't rationalize that they're actually in serious problem or having a serious problem, like they're having altitude, you know, sickness. So, wow. Did
1: your experience as a nurse make you more aware of your symptoms or did it make you more vulnerable to getting injured because you're like,
0: I know everything, everything's great. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I don't deal too much with altitude sickness here in Florida or in Dallas, but, um, I mean, being aware, it makes you, I guess it does make you more aware of what you're feeling and what your body's going through. But I never felt like I was having any negative symptoms. I have been so blessed to always do really well in altitude. So that is really good. Incredible.
1: And low oxygen, obviously, because a lot of people have um, long term physical and psychological effects from summiting. Did you have any?
0: No, not that I know, <laughs> not that I know of. <laughs> I mean, I might be a little crazier, but um, you're like, ask my family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I came home okay. Like, I was really sick. Like the couple, three to four days, three three to five days after the summit, like coughing, upper respiratory stuff. But as soon as we started to go down, I felt fine. How long were you able to stay at the top? So, Karma and I were at the top by ourselves for about three minutes, which was a miracle because it was one of the busiest years on Everest. And um, we had been climbing up for about 20-something hours, and uh, we climbed all through the night. So, we left at, like, 7 at night and climbed until sunrise. So, towards the end of the summit, like, I could—there's a false summit, kind of, and I didn't really— know exactly where the summit was but um about 30 minutes before we reached it karma and uh attached me from the ropes and started attaching me to these other ropes and as we're climbing I I mean I thought I felt like we were running but we were literally like step step but I was like karma what are you doing I can't breathe like I'm not sure but please stop we're going too fast like what are you doing and little did I know he was literally getting us around all these people so that we would be like the first people to summit um so there might have been people summit before me or I, I have no idea but there was no one up there when we got up there so it was absolutely amazing and the sun was rising and it was just oh my gosh so gorgeous that gives me goosebumps yeah. just imagining it <laughs> it was incredible and then um some other people started coming up and you know, we got our pictures and videos. And, and my video um, that Karma took, I'm like, yay, let's party. And then I'm like, wait, now we have to get down. <laughs> it's just like that feeling of, oh, like this is this is only half halfway through. So um, then like the adrenaline's gone. You've made it to the top and you're exhausted. So climbing down was a lot scarier. It was a lot harder. And that's where a lot of deaths usually occur on the way down. Hmm. How many days does it take to get down versus up? Well, that's kind of a trick question. Um, so we were on the mountain about 53 days. So you climb to Advanced Base Camp three different times before you even attempt the summit. So that's a 13-mile hike each way. So, I mean, hike, climb, whatever. It's long, and you're going straight up. So it's exhausting. So we did that three times. Then you kind of have to wait for the weather window. So when you finally get the right weather window and you're going to make your final like summit push... You do the 13 mile hike to base camp, or advanced base camp. You spend the night at advanced base camp. Um, That's when we got our Sherpa for the final summit push. Then you go to camp one, spend the night at camp one, go to camp two, spend the night at camp two. Then from camp two, you wake up and you don't stop. So you go to camp three, you get in a tent with like, we had like five people in our little tiny tent. You try to eat whatever you can, you know, like ramen basically is what you're eating. Drink as much as you can go to the bathroom do whatever you need to do and then we started hiking so or climbing get to the summit and then from the summit and the same you know you're still awake you haven't eaten you go all the way back down to camp one or camp three camp two and you're trying to get back to camp one so all in all you're awake about 37 hours With like no food, nothing to drink and very little oxygen. And you think you want to eat and drink and, you know, karma would take my oxygen off and try to give me water. But your body is just like, no, I don't want to be here. I'm your body's literally dying at that altitude. And you think, like, you want to eat and drink, but your body, would, like, really won't let you. Right. So. Because it's time to die. Yeah. Because you're o- dying Obviously. Because <laughs> why would a human be that this high? Yeah. Right? It's like, I don't want to be here. I'm going to try to keep your organs alive. I don't. Oh, my gosh. can't process eating and drinking. So basically, like, those 37 hours, I think, you know, when I tried to do the math, I probably had about 800 calories. And you burn, like, anywhere from 20 to 30,000 on the final summit. So, I mean, it's pretty insane to think what your body can actually handle. And, um, you know, if I were to do an Ironman, I would be eating 500 to 700 calories an hour. I did that over 37 hours. So, wow. it's insane. It's that is totally insane. insane when you think
1: about what's possible. So, I, I mean, I could talk forever about this. This is so <laughs> fascinating to me. So, if you, um, you said you had some insights or tips that you wanted to give our listeners on why it's never too late to start at the bottom, because, um, I was so surprised to hear that at 38, you were like, up and we're going to do this, you know, (laughs) and that you didn't have an athletic life prior to that. So tell us what you have to share to our listeners about starting at the bottom. Yes.
0: Well, I think, um, number one, like don't let your age define you. It doesn't matter if you're 21, 18, or 28, 38, you know, it's never too old to start, and with the right training and the right mindset, you can really do anything, and then the second is just um, to live a life of gratitude and be thankful that you have this body and this life to live and live it to the fullest, and there's going to be obstacles whether you're climbing Everest or driving in traffic, but, (laughs) you know, it's where you focus your energy and just overcome those obstacles with a mindset of gratitude just being thankful even in hard situations you know I told my sister like on Everest just embrace the suck like it's going to suck but at the end it's going to be totally worth it and it definitely was and um a third thing well I guess you're never too late to start at the bottom also Because I'm 39 and I'm about to have a baby. What surprise! I'm (gasps) 3 months pregnant. So yeah, even at 39, you can birth a child. (laughs) Congratulations! You can do anything you put your mind to.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, on that note,
0: everybody. Had to top ever somehow.
1: I mean, I just never know what I'm going to get with you. Obviously. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. That was awesome, and that truly is a wrap. Way to go, sis. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that was the best exit ever. That's so funny. We were just talking about that. Thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, share it with your friends and leave a review. You can also watch the episodes on YouTube. There's hidden curious caches in each episode and the first two people to find them win a prize. So be sure to get my emails for clues and other insider perks at meredithforreal.com.